Center point of season 14, where we're looking at adaptations turned into surprise hits, blockbusters, popcorn movies, epics, family gatherings, what have you. And I'm primarily floating around in the 90s for the time being. And this next film I want to look at is no different since we are entering the genesis of the 90s, 1991 to be more exact. And with that, we shall have a deep dive into Charles Adams' creation of the dark and creepy and the kooky, mysterious and spooky, they're all together ooky. We're going to be talking about The Addams Family, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld and starring Angelica Houston, Raul Julia, Christopher Lloyd, Jimmy Workman and Christina Ricci. The Adams Family, the overcast and gloom of American society, a family that maintains barbaric intentions in an offhand way that floods into a satirical tone that was made for the outcast demographic to have a representation in the most exaggerative way possible. They are the stickle inversion of the ideal post-war American middle-class nuclear family. They are from money, which deliberately resembles the hierarchy of Dracula in both wealth and darkness, but the money is known by us and others in the diegetic world, but completely irrelevant, as they are seen not as rich, but the oddballs of society, bizarre, frightening, overlapping, the supernatural at times, and the most always absurd. The world of the Adams family operates in a world like Roald Dahl's, a slightly heightened reality from the one we're used to, a world where questions are not raised when a disembodied hand roams free amongst humans. A world that chooses to just view them as the extreme stereotypes of geeks, nerds, goths, any stereotypical oddball blended into one, and rolled into this one dark family that explores their conflicts with everyday people, themselves, and their everyday habits that prove both funny, dark, and completely barbaric in nature. Charles Adams, spelt with two Ds, hence the spelling of the family, was born in 1912 in New Jersey and was a cartoonist by trade and thus, in 1938, created the first drawings and issue of the cartoons that became The Adams Family. He's quite an extraordinary guy, related to two former US presidents, the two John Adams. Somewhere between them and him, someone added an extra D to Adams. They were first cousin twice removed. He was close friends with Ray Bradbury and Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock even references him in North by Northwest. You see, as a kid, he was just fascinated with the dead and cemeteries, and he channeled that with his quite bizarre drawings and very impressive ways of interpreting what real and fake and supernatural and satirical is just by doing simple drawings. He was only 26 when he first introduced the world to the Adams family, but the world didn't know that for a while. It was only a one-panel gag in The New Yorker. Eventually, he became a regular contributor to The New Yorker and drew over 1,300 cartoons. Only 58 of those were something to do with the Adams Family, which were primarily all issued between the 40s to the 50s. Skip 14 years, and in comes in David Levy and Donald Saltman, who are actually the people responsible for giving life to these drawings. They even had to come up with the names and backstories. They were pretty much had more to do with the creation of what we know as the Adams Family then maybe Charles Adams, some would argue. That's a highly big debate right there. 
So in the 60s, 64 episodes were made and it was an instant success and the show's opening theme tune composed by Vic Mizzy became almost as iconic as the show itself, single-handedly carving a place in pop culture history. The 60s created a TV series, 70s made it into a cartoon show, the 80s did absolutely nothing with it, and then we come to the 90s where Barry Sonnenfeld adapts and revamps the 60s series or 30s cartoon and revives it to the world of the kids growing up in the 80s and 90s, which brings me to the first of two films they did focusing on the Addams Family in 91 primarily, the Adams Family value coming years later. The Adams Family in 1991 was one of seven films that year to have grossed over 100 million worldwide, which means it overachieved. It was a booming film that evidently baited them to do a sequel a couple of years later. It was positioned at number seven for most successful film in 1991. And this was the year Terminator 2 came out, Silence of the Lambs, Hook, City Slickers, and the most successful film of 1991, Beauty and the Beast. The film's production was originally at Orion Pictures, who owned the rights to the TV series from the 1960s. But as the pre-production was developing, Orion Pictures fell into financial trouble, which left the studio collapsing. It had to be bought by someone else or just face closure, and MGM stepped in and bought Orion Pictures, and then Paramount Pictures bought the film's rights. Very confusing. So they finished the production and financed the sequel, Adam's Family Value. Orion actually still has the rights to foreign distribution, which means MGM have the rights. So yeah, it didn't start well when they started production of the 1991 film, Adam's Family Value. And interestingly, I just did an episode on Men in Black, which is also directed by Boris Sonnenfeld. But in that movie, Carol Stracker, who plays Lurch in this film, plays an alien in Men in Black. So probably something to do with Barry there, you know, liking him and thought, oh, why don't you play an alien in Men in Black? And the whole plot in Men in Black is trying to protect the galaxy on Orion's belt, the name of the original studio that produced this film. Anyways, I thought that was interesting, or maybe I'm just waffling. Anyway, back to the 1991 uh, film, Adam's Family. So in this movie, we are immediately dazzled and fascinated with the seductive dark take the film chooses to operate into as we hear the iconic clicks that thunder into the opening scene that easily eases you in for a crazy ride. The film doesn't really concern itself with logic that is soon trumped with the attention of staying true to the cartoonish qualities of the original drawings that they had to offer in the 1930s. Even referenced in the 1930s, 60s series with the bear rug coming alive and also paying homage to the early sketches like the opening sequence being the most famous where the Adams family pour a cauldron of oil on Christmas carolers which if you look the oil spillers on the ground at the front of the house for the entire movie you gotta love these little attention to details in films these days also the serialistic vantage point of a passenger watching Gomez play of the toy trains the octopus painting on the end of Wednesday's bed and Pugsley with a road sign and interestingly the passenger that is watching Gomez and the train is director Barry Sonnenfeld a little Hitchcock cameo for you but anyway the film was a hit from the get-go from the world it just decided to operate in this sort of serialistic world shooting Christina Ricci into stardom from a child actress who delivers a very mature performance as young Wednesday Adams. She even says this was her favourite role, as does Raul Julia, who, by the way, I think was one of the greatest actors to ever live. It's a shame his full potential had never been exploited later on. He was unfortunately outlived by the original actor who played Gomez in the 1964 series, John Austin, who is Sean Austin's dad. Uh, also outlived by Ken Weatherwax, who died in 2014 and play, who played the original Pugsley. So yeah, Raul Julia died in his early 50s to stomach cancer, but always mesmerising when he's on screen. If you ever watch him, he went head to head with Mel Streep on Broadway. That is a sight to see. He was an incredible actor that unfortunately just went too soon, shortly after filming Street Fighter, which he only did for his kids. And I think he did this to uh, for Gomez as well because it was an adaptation for children as well he said Gomez was his favorite role this was the role that he was most recognized for and it almost brought a smile to his face when kids always recognized him as Gomez Adams on the street so yeah 
But the original portrayal of Gomez isn't anything like how Raul Julia plays him at all. Julia plays him with such charm and bravado, an extension of how Dracula is portrayed, an aristocratic gentleman that oozes confident and a seductive romantic edge. In the comics, he is originally represented more like how Tim Burton depicted Gomez in the show Wednesday, played by Louise Guzman, a somewhat stodgy, ugly man that is more expressed as a soft underbelly to the dominance of Morticia. His backstory is yet to be properly explored, but it's safe to say that what Wednesday is to Wednesday, a film about a one-time character the Adams family is to Gomez by the way if you ever wondered Wednesday is called that because of the mother goose poem that reads Wednesday's child is full of woe charming right and her middle name is Friday which is really random and staying on Wednesday it was Christina Ricci's idea who was 11 at the time by the way to fold her arms when sleeping something that has continued on as a trademark in a sequel and even in the recent series we've been uh, with Tim Burton where um, Jenny Ortega plays the title character Anyways, this film may be about the entire family, but the shine and ranks are pulled by Raul Julia's excessively charming portrayal as Gomez. He's clearly having fun of the role, the dialogue, the delivery. It easily adds to this film's black mood. The beauty of the Adams family, and this is shown here, is the humour derives from the fact that all of the members share this macabre interest, putting themselves in the way of others in bodily harm. And the gag is none of them seem to have an effect on the grounded reality of what they're doing that is deemed dangerous or brutal. The fundamental thing, though, that disguise of this archaic cemetery that overlooks the gothic mansion of the dark costumes and personalities, the Adams family are not evil people. They are just a close-knit family led by arguably by Morticia at times or Gomez at the others. And they are probably more considered outcasts for simple reasons as image and interest, an important underlying message in terms of judgment and prejudgment. And another drastic direction this film takes that sort of steers away from the original. Fester is Morticia's brother, not Gomez, but it seems to have been accepted thanks to the direction and influence of this film. It's amazing how things suddenly change from the source material from favourable representation over the original, like Hunger Games and Battle Royale. So... This story is all about establishing slowly each family member and then throwing them in a curveball, which is the disappearance of Fester, which serves as the main driving force of the plot. So he's been gone 25 years. Someone who claims to look like him pretends to be him because of the money in the vault at the Adams family orchestrated by his mother and slowly gets wooed into the dark nature and acceptance of the Adams family. Now, whether this is the actual Fester who gets his memory jogged by being amongst them or an imposter who looks like him and simply falls in love with the family is up for much debate, but it is explored in a subtle way. The so-called imposter fester is the real fester, but again, it makes a good discussion. I think originally there were concerns about the ambiguity of it, and to this day I'm still a bit hazy if it's clear or not. The cast even mentions something collectively, and they actually nominated Christina Ricci after they read the script together. And she sort of gave an impassioned plea to Scott Rudin and Barry Sonnenfeld two weeks before shooting that fester shouldn't be an imposter, and it should be made clear to the audience that they, you know explain that but they sort of met halfway i think the only person on the cast who didn't really care about this storyline was christopher lloyd who magnific- magnificently plays fester so 25 years is a f- is actually quite uh ironic because that's exactly the period between the adams family was last on tv with the tv series in 1960 to the film in 1991 and speaking of the tv shows one thing i really disagreed with in this movie is Lurch is a mute in this film. He kind of just groans and makes inaudible sounds, which means one of the most famous lines, you rang, from the 60s shows isn't anywhere to be seen here. So that's a real shame to see. The actor who plays Lurch is the only continuity of these two films from Barry Sonnenfeld and that awful attempt they made with Tim Curry and Daryl Hannah like in the noughties. It was so bad, I don't even think it came out on DVD. But anyways, the actor who plays Lurch is also in the Tim Curry film and is the only actor who stays from the original two. Um, Carol Strucker, I believe his name is, who also, like I mentioned earlier, was in Men in Black. 
Tim Curry, I believe, just had bad luck with trying to outdo a popular role made famous by Raul Julia, and the film was poorly made by Tim. But it, it, yeah, it was pretty bad. But Tim Curry did the role some justice, but it was always going to be an uphill battle following an iconic performance. Barry Sonnenfeld, who, by the way, who was originally a cinematographer for films mainly for the Coen brothers like Miller's Crossing and Raisin Arizona, he had this wacky nature to his frame and also did When Harry Met Sally. And he stepped up as director, making this film his debut. And he basically collapsed on the second week of doing this film from immense pressure because the budget was getting out of control. Um, I think they it went up, I think it ballooned up to 30 million, which wasn't a lot um, if you think about it in terms of the movie industry. But back then it was quite a bit. And he passed out and just carried on as normal. And also his cinematographer quit after a month to work on another film. And he was replaced with another cinematographer who had to be rushed to hospital halfway through shooting. So Barry, being a cinematographer by trade, ended up being the director and a cinematographer for this film. Not bad for his first film, a film that ended up being one of the seven films that year to make over $100 million. He would later become quite a successful director, directing Men in Black, and check out that episode. And to be honest, that's it, because Wild Wild West and RV were both quite awful films. But he did do both the Addams Family and the Men in Black film, so he did okay. Adam's Family is the ultimate metaphorical release of being different. It expressively shows the outcast in an ironic light to convey a message that being different will always be judged no matter how extreme and barbaric or how tame one is. Living in a world where judgment is at the heart of everything, where racism, misogyny, feminism, the clothes you wear, the, the color your hair is, how tall you are, the decisions you make, your name, your religions, your belief are being scrutinized if it isn't understood or worse, where it doesn't follow society in the conventional meaning. The Adam's Family value where Wednesday delivers an iconic monologue which really shines confirms the skill Richie has as a child actress again highlights the blind society pulls over people's minds that being different was like being uh, an outcast like being disabled wearing glasses how you dress a punch mont is not correct uh, they are a family that always shows how happy they are with being different how content Gomez is with everything and his simplicity with the plan that someone wants to rob him shows how ironically harmless he is to the real darkness which is the outside world not with the family but with the world they rightfully separate themselves from. In a twist of fate, the gothic world would be completely happy and content. The film, if you put it under a lens, is a representation of the meaning of life, which is happiness. Nothing that Morticia or Gomez does is not done without a smile on their face. Their passion, their love for each other, their love for the children, how much Pugly and Wednesday loves their uncle, and how nothing is judged by their own family. It doesn't matter how illogical something is or how throbbing something might be. As Tyler Durden says, they just let go and enjoy the foundations of being a family and have zero thought on how they are perceived to anyone else or each other. This is a film for the outsider, for the recluse, for the socially awkward. But in the film, the message lies that there shouldn't be anything awkward about being different. You own it, you embrace it, and that, if you can manage to control it, is the essence of happiness. But anyway, that's all I have time for with the Adams Family, the lovable outcast that breathes darkness in every corner. But deep down, the evil is just a motif, the fashion, their hobbies. But nothing about their personalities is close to the exaggerative surroundings of gothic darkness and dread. You can find us recasting this movie on another show that I co-host, Quantum Recast, where we decide to take this film back to 1981 and recast this movie with actors relevant to that year. So check that episode out. It's coming out soon. And you can follow me on all the social medias. Instagram is the main hub. That's Film Exploration, A-H, or lowercase, or one word. And you can listen to my podcast on iTunes, Google, Spotify, and Amazon. And don't forget to check out Quantum Recast, my other bit on the side, with the guys across the pond. But for now, thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together, okay. The Adams family. 
The house is a museum When people come to see them They really are a scream The Adams Family Neat Sweet Petite So get a witch's shawl on A broomstick you can crawl on We're gonna pay a call on The Adams Family